It's the Locked on Canes podcast where it's all about the you. My name is Fred Purdue. I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Cam Underwood. What's going on, Cam? Hi, guys. How you doing? Hanging out, having a good Tuesday. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I have a whole week off, you know, just to pull the curtain back. I'm a teacher, you know, so I got a whole week off. I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I, I mean. While I, he's bragging. Yeah, just, you know, I, I had to do it. I'm enjoying this whole week off and you know Kim I'm sorry but you know if you ever want to come back you know. no nah, I mean it's all good I was a teacher for 15 years and I made the open elective choice to uh, go down a new professional path so I do have a new super secret day job that I'm not talking about on the microphone here or anywhere where else but uh, no my days as a teacher uh, I believe those to be in the past well the one thing that should be in, be left in the past is the terrible performance that we saw against FIU from our Miami Hurricanes and um, well I don't think we're done just yet we have a few other things to talk about so we'll be talking about three things that need to change at the University of Miami post FIU post apocalypse because uh, that might be what it is Uh, it it was very bad and a lot of people are, are very hot about it so we'll be talking about that but before we get started let's get the house cleaning out of the way make sure you go follow the show on twitter at locked on canes follow cam on twitter at underwood sports and follow myself on twitter at fred purdue cfb make sure you go like the uh like the show on apple podcast make sure you go rate the show leave us some comments let us know what you think make sure you leave that five stars we are we're worth that we're a five-star recruit i think oh all day every day come on now like you know, yeah, y'all go like, subscribe, anywhere that you get podcasts, drop us five stars, you know, appreciate that feedback and everything. But yeah, let us know how we're doing. And uh, I mean, I know that our approval rating has to be better than uh, the teams right now, obviously, because yeah, you know, no good, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad uh, loss to FIU, uh, which, you know, is in the past, but not so far in the past that we're not going to talk about it again, because we're going to do that today. So we'll start off. We can kind of start at the head uh, with the with coaching. That's one of our things that we said collectively that needs to change in one way or another. And I'll kind of I'll kind of start this thing off. Um, Manny Diaz said that arrogance is something that needs to be removed from this team uh, post FIU. And if I think it starts with him, because quite honestly, when you have your your team is a reflection of your head coach. And if you go into your bye weeks, if you go into your weekly practices, your game planning, even just the makeup of your team, having certain players that have certain personalities and they follow what you do. And you have this idea of, oh, it's just FIU. There's there's smaller, slower and weaker uh, than us that we can kind of take a week off and let guys rest. Yeah, you let guys rest by having lighter practices, not giving guys days off. There's a difference. And uh, I think if you you take that personality trait of um, just being very lackadaisical, it, co- it can come off as arrogance. And uh, I think Manny Diaz needs to work on that. Unfortunately, he's yet another head coach at the University of Miami after two others, one being Randy Shannon and one being – uh, Al Golden, who had never had any uh, real success as either a, a top court, I won't say success. They had to learn on the job at a major university. I understand Al Golden was at Temple, and that's great. But Temple's not a Power 5 school, and they are also not a major Power 5 school. 
So uh, another head coach learning on the fly is something that Miami has kind of gotten used to. But you got to surround your guy, yourself with those type of people that can kind of take that arrogance and take a lot of those mistakes away from you because they've had experience. Yeah, but I mean, at least Al Golden had head coaching experience. Manny Diaz has none. I mean, he was, he's a first-time head coach, mm-hmm. not even a first year here. You know, he's a first-time head coach. And, you know, like we talked about at the end of yesterday's episode, I agree with you that the turnover change should be gone. Um, even though Manny Diaz, when asked directly, he said, oh, yeah, no, that's not going anywhere. You know, but we're talking about, you know, this outward show of bravado and everything like that. Like, I'm glad that they didn't. I don't know because I didn't. I don't think I saw it, but I don't think that they took out the the touchdown rings on Saturday after they scored late against FIU. You know, because we were down two touchdowns or mm-hmm. three touchdowns. Um, you know, I'm glad, or I would hope that after a turnover, they would not have taken out the turnover chain in that uh, you know instance. But I think that they might have. So yeah, I mean, it starts with him. You know, it does, and that's obviously you know Al Golden's line. It starts with me. But Manny Diaz is saying the same thing. Like I take responsibility for it. So what are you doing, man? You know what I mean? You coaches or players, students, workers under your direction, whomever, they will do two things. They will do either what you coach them, teach them to do, or what you allow them to do. And whether it is overtly coached or implicitly allowed, it's just laziness. You know, and on this microphone, you know, or whatever, on this show, on other shows I've guest ho- or guest starred on or things like that. And I mean, even with you last week and with um, Gabby Arudia from State of the U, who unfortunately that episode got corrupted because the recording system crashed right before we ended. Sorry, guys. But, you know, every, all three of us, look, if Miami does what Miami needs to do, if they go out and everything and play hard the way that they did against Louisville, they will earn the blowout victory that they're looking for. And then, you know, you can go celebrate and do all those things, but also allowed for the fact of, Hey, there were two previous bye weeks that we saw Miami come out unprepared. There was that random game. It wasn't after a bye week, but still against Georgia tech where they looked lackadaisical. So I said, you know, it, we have seen it already this year where they have not done what they needed to do. And hopefully those lessons from earlier this year have taught them, and we've moved forward, so we're going to continue that upward trajectory from before the bye week. That was obviously proven to be false. Who's that lie on? First of all, it lies on everyone. So, yes, we're talking about coaching being a thing that needs to change, but it's not just the coaches, and it's not just the players. Every single person in the Hecht Athletic Center, the Carroll Sofer Indoor Football Practice Facility, at the University of Miami in general, and especially associated with the football program, every single person has responsibility here. Yeah, it, it all fall. It's it falls on a little piece of all of this falls on somebody, um, and it, again, like I said, I've uh, it falls on the head coach at the beginning, and I hate saying that whole "it starts with me" thing because I it does. I, I hate it. I hate the line because it's an Al Golden line, and I if I could erase it's one, not an Al Golden line. It's a line that people associate with Al Golden because he said it so many times without changing anything. This is true. So I get how he like bastardized it. Um, <laughs> And everything, but it's not an Al Golden line. I mean, like in your life, if you do something wrong with your significant other or in your family, whatever you say, you know what? That's my bad. I own that. You know, so it's not it's not a, a foreign concept to take responsibility for it. It is a foreign concept, however, to take quote unquote responsibility for it as lip service and not do anything to change the situation. 
Definitely agreed on that. And, you know, I, I think also what we need to really kind of put into just to kind of put a bow on this whole coaching situation because quite honestly what the methods that you're using may not be working you mean we talked about that on the last show whatever whatever you're doing it may work just not with uh the players that you have and just to kind of take this into the next segment a bit recruiting has a lot to do with it recruiting the type of personalities and who might some of those personalities belong to? We'll talk about that on the other side. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. Listening on the go? If you can't visit DoorDash right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com offers. All right, so we talked about coaches and bringing in the right personalities that may work with the type of coaching and the type of techniques that they're using to stop having a lot of the arrogance and having a lot of the, I want to call it false swagger. I guess that we can we can kind of coin it that uh, Miami's always going to have swagger. They talk about it, whether it's a, a verbally said thing or a thing you just exude on the field. But that has to be done with the right type of, of personalities and players. And how does this uh, this loss it impacted recruiting in a big way? And th- because recruiting, like I've said from the beginning of this show, it is the lifeblood of the sport and the lifeblood of this team. There were some players that maybe weren't so so much approving of, of this loss in the class of 2021. So, Cam, you are the recruiting expert here at the Locked on Canes podcast. So tell me, sir, uh, who are some of these recruits that should be maybe we keep our eye on or maybe they just may be gone in general? All right, so I'm going to start from the top at 2020. This current recruiting class, defensive tackle Trayvon Riggins from St. Petersburg, Lakewood, he decommitted. And this is a kid who has not heard from Miami in months. He's taken an official visit to Illinois. It's been widely known that he wasn't coming here because Miami dropped him off of the board. But he waited until the one time that he could troll Miami and get some, quote-unquote, some cred uh, from Uh, the timing of his decommitment note coming on Saturday evening immediately after the game. Um, But whatever, Miami, he wasn't coming to Miami because Miami didn't want him anymore. So that's just a point of fact. You can debate your, you know, grandma who doesn't know how to cook greens. I'm fine with it. Um, In 2021, uh, wide receivers, uh, Romillo Brinson from Miami Northwestern and Jacoby George from Plantation High School both decommitted. Uh, the scuttlebutt there is both of those kids had great, great junior seasons, uh, but were probably looking to elevate um, their recruiting status because future offers might come in, uh, you know, down the line. Brinson camped at LSU, and I think with Northwestern over the summer, they went like on an SEC college tour. So he's thinking some of those teams might come back around. Jacoby George, I think, should probably be first team all Broward County uh, because of what he did this year. He's like 80 catches and 1,300 yards or something like that. So, you know, UCF just reached out to him with an offer. So he's thinking, okay, I was committed to Miami. Other teams already know of me because I was already at that level of a recruit. 
so maybe some of these SEC schools or whatever, you know, dream offer that he wanted, that might come in the future. So he decommitted as well. Um, Trayvon Riggins is 2021 teammate, um, a linebacker, uh, Cortez McKenzie, that's his name, from Lakewood, uh, also decommitted, um, you know, after this game. But, you know, the, the movement in the future class is not really too problematic because you still have 13 months until their early signing day. You know what I mean? Like, those kids can commit or decommit. That's just, those are just words. You know, Trayvon Riggins decommitting, like I said, is a thing, but Miami didn't want him anymore. So that's just letting a guy go who was not going to come here. So, you know, Manny Diaz did talk about it on Monday, saying, you know, the 2020 commits have a group chat and everything, and it's cool for them. And they are committed to the pursuit of returning the U to glory. So most of those guys are locked in. So is it going to be tougher next year to recruit or this next recruiting cycle because of this loss to FIU? And I know that like, I usually don't like to look at things like singular games as such big recruiting um, interactions, but it was, it was that because it was that bad. So yes, Miami is going to be fighting an uphill battle a little bit in 2021 uh, with those recruits. So, you know, next year you're gonna have to win win a bunch of games uh, and win some games early, obviously, to show them, okay, if we're, you know, five and one, six and one, you know, Miami's going in the right direction to, to make moves with those guys. So, I mean, yeah, but like I said, you cannot be really concerned immediately about the next recruiting class when you're less than a month away from early signing for the 2020 cycle. And most of those guys are still committed. And Jalen Knighton was on campus for uh, Sunday practice with the Miami Hurricanes, or to watch practice, excuse me, um, on Sunday, immediately after the loss anyway. So that's a kid who's either uncommitted or silently committed. You know, you're still contacting Justin Flo. I probably think that, and he's the number one uh, linebacker in the country. We talked about him last week. I think that that chance is probably gone because of this loss, but you're still shooting your shot, even if it's from 45 feet and you hope that it goes in. So, I mean, there's still moves to be made this year, but yeah, next year is going to be a show and prove on the field year to see if things can be positive on the recruiting trail in 2021. Now, when you speak about, we'll kind of, we're kind of kind of break this down into two separate things, but okay. uh, the future schedule, you have a Michigan state, which uh, Michigan State's been kind of up and down, back and forth. I don't know what's going on there, uh, but are there a big enough opponent that when you and you're it's at Michigan State early in yep. the season? It's actually September 26th, so that's mm-hmm. an early game that you can kind. And they s- tend to sometimes get a late back end of the top 25 nod, so that wouldn't be a bad team to start off with. But then you get. Uh, Al, you get the fighting. I, I, I hate saying that. I used to call them the fighting Al Goldens on a regular basis. Uh-huh. Uh, the Temple Owls. Uh, also, the uh, you have Wagner and UAB. So, and of course, these games are made. These games are set up years and years in advance. So, you know, no one knows what these teams would have been like back then and now or however. But to start the season off, that's not a bad first four games and obviously you'll move somewhere around at some point but you know how does that kind of fall into this dynamic because you can kind of look at some you can look at how these some of these two at least you have two big names here you have uh michigan state and temple uh one power five one group of five that is actually doing pretty well for themselves um 
does that go into the whole recruiting thing of saying, hey, we can we have some big name opponents going forward, and maybe these guys will recognize these big these big wins. I'm calling them wins. I'm just speaking it into existence now. Don't make me wrong next year, guys, please. <laughs> <laughs> we can kind of go I mean, back <clears throat> and say, yeah. But. Yeah, there there is a measure of that, but you got to go win those games. And mm-hmm. I mean, Michigan State is not necessarily like the biggest baddest opponent, you know, in the world necessarily, but that is a name brand. You know, obviously Nick Saban coached there. I know more about Michigan State than most people probably listening because I'm from Detroit, so I have family and friends who went to Michigan and Michigan State. So, yeah, you know, I'll probably go home uh, in September up to Detroit, hang out, drive over the hour and 15 to East Lansing for that game. You know, so I'll be there. Um, But that's a team that you should beat, uh, that you have to beat because, yeah, then you can say, okay, look, we lost these teams last year, you know, but in next year's recruiting cycle, look, we beat Temple, who – you know, that's a team that you know because a coach used to work there. Manny Diaz worked there for 13, 18 days or whatever it is. But that's another team that has been a 9, 10, 11 win mm-hmm. thing. I just thought something about Temple. Sorry, never mind. Personal story, disregard. No, 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 uh, go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm telling you, we're disregarding. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, they beat a, a good Maryland, a hot Maryland team earlier this year, too. And, and yes. that was the end of, their, of Maryland's chapter. But, you know. Exactly. But, I mean, yeah, you can have those things, but you're, you're using that as a stepping stone. Hopefully you win more of these games in the ACC conference moving into next year. Mm-hmm. And then that'll drive, you know, hopefully towards 2021 and beyond. And if you don't know, Miami is 14 games, 15 if they make next year's ACC championship game, but 14 or 15 games away from opening the 2021 season against Alabama. Yeah. yeah. So... You have that also. That's your momentum. Where that's a momentum, that's a marquee game, and you have Michigan State, the return game with a home-and-home in 2021 as well. So, look, even if you're on the squad, you come in as a recruit, look, fine. We beat these teams this year. We open with Alabama. We got to the ACC championship game. If you get there in 2020, then we're playing Michigan State again. That's another national game because, you know, obviously Michigan State being from Michigan and Miami being from Miami or Coral Gables, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, that that's a way that you can use the schedule as part of the thing. And if you remember, like, you know, the NCAA uh, college football games like you had all these different kind of things that you could use as recruiting pitches so individual playing time championship aspirations da, 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 you know scheduling you know all those kind of different things so that is a thing that will come into account because yeah guys come to Miami you want to play big games you want to win big games so when you add these kind of opponents out of conference then you're able to say that those things as well but at the beginning for this 2021 cycle first of all the 2021 recruiting cycle has already begun because for elite players you're probably having a two-year recruiting window you're not just calling those guys in september of their senior years and they say oh hey i want to go to miami you've been building and cultivating a relationship over the course of years so it matters with those guys but it's not terminal with those guys in the 2021 cycle so you've already started that now and then it's moving into the 2020 season their senior year of high school to continue where you're talking about we've won these games we're playing these opponents and things like that now we spoke about at the beginning of this thing that you know accountability is something that is just it has to happen at the University of Miami and accountability we can kind of we can go for days when it comes to that because it's been a thing a problem at Miami since 2003 so we'll kind of get into what this coaching staff has to do to make their this team more accountable not only to 
the fans, but to themselves on the other side. All right, so accountability is the thing, is the topic at hand. Manny Diaz, uh, just to kind of go back a little bit and say, he said that arrogance is a thing uh, that this, this team has, and he's wanted to get the culture different. Well, it starts with accountability, whether it is um, – the penalties, we can start there. It's the penalties, it has to be – that needs to be drained out of the culture of this team. You know, when I look at a team like an Alabama, regardless if they're playing Western Kentucky, whether they're playing uh, Oklahoma, the amount of penalties are very few and far between. You rarely ever see, you know, false start on anybody on the offensive line because they know the consequences. They know that there was a fear, and, and we can kind of tie this into going back to the good old days. Uh, there used to be a fear of guys um, that were just as good or better than the starters, a la Frank Gore, a la Clinton Portis, Sean Taylor. They were, they were Some guys were just better than the starters. They just didn't have the experience. And there was a fear that somebody would come take your spot if you kept messing up in-game or during practice. That fear has to be brought back, and that's a huge piece of this whole accountability thing. If, you com- if you're committing constant penalties and you're hurting the team because at the end of the day it's about the team, you need to. somebody else is going to take your spot. What say you? Look, I'm going to put it to you like this. Miami is currently 94th in the country in penalties. Um, at 7.1 a game, 78 overall. Um, Penalties in 11 games, which is not good. Um, But, yeah, getting back to the heart of things, I wanted to say this earlier. Attitude reflect leadership, captain. And if you think, oh, I've heard that before. That's from Remember the Titans. But you cannot talk about what the players are doing and not talk about what you're letting them do or coaching them to do, Manny. Like, you know, Teams take on the personality of their coaches. Mm-hmm. So apparently the personality of a coach is that we're a half-assed working group who works when they want to, how they want to, you know, without any kind of effort or consistency. Now, the other part of what you're talking about, I think, goes back to the second segment of recruiting. Yeah, you had elite talent on the bench back in the day because you recruited. Uh, you know, you recruited over the talent in front of you. That's supposed, That should be the goal. Just like if you have a family and you have kids, you want your kids to be better off than you were, so you're having their life take an upwards trajectory from where yours was. You should want to recruit in that same way. Miami does not have that depth currently. So that's a thing that needs to be addressed in player acquisition. But, you know, we don't have... With all due respect, we don't have a Frank Gore as fourth running back right now. We don't have a Sean Taylor as the number five safety right now on this team. We don't have that. So, yeah, I mean, maybe you can discipline the players in a different way and say, all right, we're going to take you out and give somebody else another chance, even if they are 15 pounds lighter and three steps slower, because, you know, you're not doing the job because you're creating penalties, you're dropping passes, you're missing blocks, you're missing tackles, whatever it is, on the performance that says maybe we give somebody else who's a, a dirt dog. You know, he's he's a gym rat. You know, he's just a football player. He might not be uh, gifted with the size and speed that you have, but he has that tenacity. Mm-hmm that you don't to go out and make a play. Maybe it is, but yeah, I mean, you cannot just say, okay, we're going to go to the backup who's equally as talented as the starter because simply the roster is not constructed in such a way that you have a player behind most of these players to be able to do that. 
Agreed, agreed. And you know, when I look at you, made, you brought up a good point about you know not having the depth and being able to recruit uh, over a player. You may have a DJ Dallas, but you need to recruit a Jalen Knight, and who may just who could be better. You never know. Potential is always. I hate that p word potential because it just gets thrown around way too much, and it's an excuse for a guy not uh, achieving what he was supposed to. But well, yeah, but I will, and I'll say I'll, I'll interrupt really quickly to say this: potential has to turn into performance. And that's the disconnect. If you are continuing to rely on that P word of potential and it's like, oh, well, the potential's there, the potential's there, the potential's there, the potential's there. There has to be a time when potential turns to performance because as a, as a freshman, even a redshirt freshman, I understand it. For example, and this might be controversial, Lorenzo Lingard was a five-star recruit. He has all the potential in the world. He was a three-time state champion hurdler. You know, he's sprinter. You know, he has developed his body physically. He looks, I mean, just built like a truck, right? And he has all of the skill, all the athletic ability in the world, all the, the potential. But next year, we're coming into year three for Lorenzo Lingard. That potential to performance clock is coming towards the end real quick. You know what I mean? So, like, potential is a real thing because you recruit guys on potential. You don't recruit guys as fifth-year seniors. You know, even when people, even when Miami recruited Robert Knowles, said he's a two or three, he's a three, maybe four-year down the road guy because he's athletically gifted, but his skills are not where they need to be. It took until year five for him to really play to this level, but that's. Progression over time is a thing that happens, but you have to be able to see a kid for who he is as a player because some guys are going to come in and play day one. Other guys are going to come in and play year three. Danny Isadora was an offensive lineman years ago from Cypress Bay. He didn't play until year three, but he was second team all ACC by his fifth year senior year. You know, so potential is a real thing, but you cannot ignore that, because, you know, and just rely on that because, you know, this is a, a results based industry where you have to make these plays. So potential matters when you're bringing somebody in. But player development and that performance, that production, that is the key component that people who talk about potential usually discount. Now, I want to play a little devil's advocate here, and I, I, I rarely do this, so enjoy it while it lasts because um, – you know, you mentioned recruiting players, recruiting a guy over a current player that you may have that may be really good. The only monkey wrench I want to throw into this, and it's only recently happened, is this whole transfer uh, transfer portal thing. Because back when there was a Sean Taylor who was the fifth safety or Frank Gore who was the third or fourth running back, they couldn't just say, I'm going to go get in the transfer portal and just I'm going to go wherever I want to go. There, there was no such thing as, oh, I'm going to be able to play four games and then I'll think about redshirting if I want to redshirt you. Those rules weren't really in place. And it really, with kids having this this sense of entitlement and they want instant gratification instead of having to work. I mean, how many times, just we can go look at another school and, I, and I'm just picking on Georgia just because. Uh, Georgia had, had uh, Jake Fromm, who they currently have. I personally think he's not, 
he's a good quarterback. He's not a great quarterback. He's slightly, barely, and I mean slightly more talented than one Aaron Murray, who you, who was a plant high school recruit, uh, was there for four years. I mean, he was a really good quarterback as, as far as college, but his his he wasn't physically gifted as Fromm is, right? They mm-hmm. went and recruited ju- uh, Justin Fields, and this and actually we can go a little bit farther back, but a year before that, you had Jacob Eason who was at Washington. Now, then you have Fromm who comes right behind him, and then you have Justin Fields who comes right behind him. So mm-hmm. at some point. You know, Easton has an okay year. He gets hurt. He transfers. Fromm comes in. You bring in Justin Fields. Justin Fields transfers because he was more than likely promised to play. And I think that would have been a nice combo or a nice guy to bring in to uh, at least be have a package of plays until until Fromm left, kind of a la T. Uh, a la Chris Leak and Tebow in that same conference, right? So Justin Fields transfers. He goes on to Ohio State. And once he goes on to Ohio State, now you're just stuck with, with from. So it's like at some point guys are going to leave simply because they want instant gratification. And at quarterback, it's a little bit more of a different situation because there's as a receiver, you have there's four potential guys that can catch a football, even if you say no tight end, right? There's four potential pass catchers there. At quarterback, you have to simply wait your turn and hope a guy gets injured, plays bad, something of the sort. And if it doesn't happen, then you're, you just have to transfer or your four years will go by so quickly that you don't – your head will spin. And I've seen it multiple times. I mean, even Joe Burrow, he transferred from Ohio State after Justin Fields came in. They, were, they brought in a guy that happened to be better than the guy. You never know what could have happened, and they at that time had Dwayne Haskins. I say all of that to say – just to have recruiting that strategy worked then it may not work now no i mean and i think quarterbacks are a separate conversation you know uh from the whole everything but you have to and that's why i said you know recruiting rule number one is you have to have a quarterback every year because you prepare for the future if somebody were to leave because it is a singular position and i've i've had that viewpoint since before the transfer portal but look if we recruit over you with a better bigger, more talented player, and you want to leave at any other position, then we should be better off with that player anyway. And why are you not busting your butt to keep your job? You know, like, I mean, it, it's six in one hand, half dozen in the other. I'm not going to just get a placeholder. I'm trying to get the best players that I can for my roster every single year. So if I recruit over somebody, then tough. Either you grind harder because, I mean, at every school, not just Miami, but at every school. The goal is to recruit over guys, but guys develop. Guys turn that potential into performance, or they raise the level of their performance above what you thought or perceived their potential to be so that they can stay on the field. So you got to have some dog in you. you got to have some fight in you. you got to have some pride in yourself to say, yeah, they brought in this five-star All-American, but I'm a third-year junior or fourth-year junior or third-year sophomore, and I've been here. I've been in the weight room. I've been to the training table. I've done the stuff. I know the plays already. It's my time to shine. So he might have all the recruiting stars in the world next to his name, but guess where he's going to be when when the lights come on on Saturday? On the bench watching me make a play. So you had to have some guys with that dog in them. But I'm not going to go and recruit less talented players for the future because I might possibly lose somebody off of the roster. Look, there's going to be attrition to the roster at every school, every single year, at pretty much every single position. Ain't one monkey going to stop, no show. 
If you're trying to leave, I wish the best for you wherever you end up. Look, it would have been great, good, glorious, and wonderful if Lawrence Cager would have stayed at Miami this year. You know what I mean? But he didn't. All right, onward, upward, and forward we go. We're going to recruit guys. Look, you had Brian Hightower leave in the middle of the year. You're going to have KJ Osborne and likely Jeff Thomas leave this year. Okay, so we went and got a couple All-American wide receivers, high school All-Americans, and guys who can come in and make plays to recruit over the, the, the empty slots and some of the guys at the bottom of the rotation. You got to keep it pushing. I'm not going to be, because the opposite from that is if you then say, look, we have a four-star, previous four-star recruit here, so we're going to recruit players of his caliber or lower to secure his spot moving forward what huh why for who for what no that's not how this works so you gotta you gotta create that culture and this is going back to what manny diaz said you gotta create that culture of that work you know you gotta have those guys who are willing to put in that work and progress because i know that i am going to be better so i'm not worried about looking behind me i'm running forward I don't care who you put back here. I'm the guy who's going to be on the field. And I know the quarterback is different because you can only play one of those as opposed to, you know, rotating through seven wide receivers. But still, you know, you got to it. I mean, it is it, there is no clear answer, but going and recruiting lesser talented guys to make the guys on the roster secure in their spots. I guarantee you that's not the answer. And if you do that, you're going to end up like Michigan did when they got rid of Lloyd Carr and they brought in Rich Rodriguez, which was trash. And then they brought in um, Brady Hoke, yeah. which was trash, you know, because all of a sudden you're saying Michigan at nine and two, nine and three every year. That's not good enough. And then they went and they brought in these coaches and then they did exactly that. They recruited mid tier kind of recruits and guys who were not as talented as guys on the roster to secure the guys up at the top end. And then what happens? You're in the position that the Miami Hurricanes currently sit with pretty good or elite talent at the starting level, 22 on offense and defense, and then a gap between the, the, those guys who are starting and the guys who are behind them. But I thought we're trying to do something different. How are you going to do different? By recruiting better guys. Duh. You know, and, and I, for me, I'm one of those people. I follow more of the SEC schools a lot. Outside of Miami, I'm an, I'm a, sometimes an SEC apologist, and you know, um, whether it's f outside of the the people in Gainesville, I don't. I they get all anytime they they're bad, they're bad. But when you're talking Georgia, Alabama, LSU, I pay attention to their recruiting and how those coaches, like you said, you they they don't you want A plus talent regardless. Yes, they're gonna go get their three star guys, they're gonna get their two star guys, those are depth guys. But when you're talking your upper level players, there's probably three five star guys at one position and you just gotta deal with it. I mean, just think I, I I, using Alabama and Georgia as very good examples, their running back room is ridiculous every single year. I remember a time there was a Derrick Henry, there was a um, – for Alabama, there was a Derrick Henry, there was a Kenyon Drake, there was a Alton Tenpenny who, rest in peace, he ended up transferring and passing away. But then you also had an Alvin Kamara. If all of those names sound familiar, they're all in the NFL. And they all had to wait their turn, and they all were they were dynamic duos in the backfield, and they never got mm -hmm. all the touches. But guess what? 
they waited their turn and they had their success. There's a player on their roster right now, and I, I don't know him personally, but I feel that I know him personally because I have a friend that I won't say any names. I'm not name dropping here, but I have a friend that actually played on that 09 national championship team, and he was uh, a very big piece of this kid's life. Uh, Brian Robinson, he's number 24 for Alabama, and he's, I mean, I, all I heard for the last three years, this kid's going to be good. Every time I saw him on the field, he's really good. He had to sit behind guys that were really good. And guess what? He, he finally got a chance. He's playing. When Miami gets to that point, and I know we got to wrap this thing up, but when Miami gets to that point where guys aren't afraid of sitting the bench for just a small period of time, longer than one year, and they get to the point where all four of their, their three or four running backs, or God forbid, all four of their receivers are first-round caliber players going into the NFL, that's when Miami, because that's what the level is. That's what Nick Saban says. I will ju- I'll get 25. Essentially, he doesn't need to go back to the NFL because – you know, and we're just talking general recruiting here and philosophy. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, I agree with the philosophy. If I'm going to have 20, I essentially I have 25 first round draft picks. And if all of them just happen to, if I hit on, it's volume. It's all about volume. If I get 17 out of 25 every year, I'm going to be really good regardless. Miami right. has to be able to hit on at least 17 to 20 out of 25 of their guys in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Even if that that back end of that 17 to 20 is a three-star kid that needed to develop over three years and turns into Richard Sherman, who was, who was at Stanford. If he turns out to be him, more power to you. That's development, and you can show and say, hey, you know, we develop them. But then we also bring in studs that they don't need a lot of coaching. They're just physically gifted, and we just need to tell them, hey, do this, do that, you're great. Yeah, and I mean, look, at when you're good and you recruit well, you're going to have talented guys on the bench. That's just a fact. you know. And I'm not saying like on the bench permanently, but you know, as backups to the starters. And that's where Miami wants to get. You know, you have to get the best players. You know, that's how you build depth is by stacking elite classes year over year over year. Again, I urge all of you to go to stateoftheu.com. If you scroll down a little bit, I wrote a feature uh, last summer called the, the Recruiting Rules. And it has nine rules of how you build a championship caliber program. And I've touched on a lot of them in this conversation, and Fred has touched on some others. But there is a tr- tried and true way, if you follow these things, that's how you can do it. And if you look at the best teams in the country who have blue chip ratios of, you know, more four and five star players on their roster than not, that's what they'll do. You know, so like, yeah, you have to go and you have to go get these guys. You have to convince them and then you have to win. That's, you know, recruiting rule number nine, spoiler, you know, preview to the remix. But yeah, you have to win because that's proof of concept. You can talk a good game, but if you're going to lose games to FIU, you're going to lose games to this two win, three win Georgia Tech team. That's not proof positive that, you know, you have proper player development, proper usage, uh, you know, and, and uh, engagement, things like that. You've got to go get the best guys. You have to. And it's going to take a lot, and it's going to take some wins. So that means you have to develop on the field the performance, off the field the way that you're coaching, uh, and things like that. And I talked about that yesterday with Manny Diaz, but that falls to Manny Diaz and everybody else. Um, you know, and hopefully when we uh, convene for the spring practice and things like that, we have um, – some things or some uh, some coaches have changed because I stand by it and I meant what I said uh, and I meant what I wrote. The performance against FIU was a fireable offense. And if nobody is fired, 
nobody leaves this coaching staff, is gone after this, then Manny Diaz, I think that he's on a short clock. And I'll put it to you like this. We talked earlier about Michigan State, right? Their offense was terrible last year. Do you know what Mark D'Antonio did to fix their offense in the offseason? From what I've seen on the field, I have a lot of nothing. What he did is he took all of the same coaches from offense and reassigned them to different positions. Literally. Running backs coach coaching tight ends. Tight ends coach coaching offensive line. Offensive line coach coaching wide receivers. He did shuffle around with the coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball. Got rid of no one. Changed nothing. And just like Fred said, well, from watching Michigan State last year and watching them this year, I've seen a lot of nothing has changed because the people coaching have not changed. So for me, with Miami, I know that we went one year with this new staff on offense after, you know, Manny Diaz took over from Mark Richt and everything. Changes need to be made again, period, point blank, dot com, end of story. Again, debate your grandma who don't know how to make greens because I know how to make greens. Thanks. I think as we close this chapter of FIU out and get it out of our, I think we've gotten it out of out of our systems. Um, I think I know I have, Cam. I know you. You're disdain. Nope. No. Nope. No. No. Okay. It ain't going away. It ain't nope. going away. Okay. So nope. Let this burn in your soul. Let it marinate. In you. Let it marinate on you. Okay. Uh, as we kind of go into what we call it's Duke Week now, and I hate even addressing them like they're good but we made this mistake before so we're not gonna it's not like miami's good so yeah exactly exactly so as we go into what we call it is on to duke week um we're gonna i'm working on a a nice little surprise going into these next couple days uh we'll break down duke of course on the on friday uh we will we will be here for a very short and when i mean short i mean short tight 30 not it might not even be a tight thirty. It might not let's be go for fr- for Thursday because oh yeah, yeah, yeah because yeah. it is Thanksgiving. But we will let you. We will kind of have a little bit of a special for you guys. We're not gonna leave you hanging. We'll let you have some. So while you're you're cooking in your kitchen, getting the last little bit of things going, and maybe after you when you're trying not to fall asleep, you got a little bit to listen to. We'll have something for you for Thursday, uh, and tomorrow I'm working on a nice little a nice guest. A nice guest to kind of put a bow on this week as well. So make sure you stay tuned to the show. Locked on Canes on Twitter. Uh, Underwood Sports on Twitter for Cam. Myself, Fred Produce CFB. Make sure you follow us on, on, on Apple Podcasts. Rate, subscribe, leave those comments. Let us know what you think. Um, leave us a hat in, on Twitter before we get out of here. Make sure you leave the hashtag LOC Thanksgiving. And let us know what you're thankful for. We'll kind of read those on the air on for Thursday, too. So make sure you do all of that. We'll be back on tomorrow. May have a special guest if you guys are good. Uh, you guys stay safe out there. This is for Cam. This is Fred. It's the Locked on Canes podcast. And go Canes. <laughs>